All right. Good morning, everyone. All right. It's great to hear the uh, joyful sound of people interacting and uh, getting ready for our service time this morning. So, so grateful to have you here. If you're visiting with us, we have uh, just two simple things. We have a, a cafe after the service where we share in coffee and some snacks, a great place for you to uh, connect with people that you uh, already do not know, but would like a chance to know. So we invite you to stay for that. And then if you have any questions about our church and ministry, there's a connection desk right outside the front door to the right as you exit. And uh, you can sign up there. You can request information there, ask any questions that you might have. Okay. So we want to welcome you and thank you uh, for being with us uh, for the service today. One of the ministries that we have here at our church is called Grief Share. And that is a, a ministry to help people that are going through the loss of a spouse, loss of a loved one, whatever that might be. That's a ministry that takes place here on a somewhat regular basis through the year. Typically, I think we go through two cycles with that. Uh, so on the 14th of March, there is the loss of a spouse. That's a one-week uh, video session with the team that runs that ministry. Time to meet new people that will be participating in the next cycle. So that's on March 14th. And then the 13-week cycle starts on March 21st. And to be part of that, all you need to do is come to the building. Fran, real quick, uh, Tuesday nights? at 7 o'clock. So you just come to the building at Tuesdays at 7 o'clock, and Fran is the person you can contact if you have any questions about that ministry. Okay, Jewel. So we have one other announcement that Jewel is going to make for us. So I wanted to make an announcement about Community Blend. We have had two fabulous programs within the last seven days, and so I did not get an announcement out about First Fridays. First Fridays this month is going to be on the second Friday. It's this upcoming Friday, and I want to encourage, uh, it's for women only, females, I want to encourage you to come out. Um, there is a sign-up out there. If you can just sign your name and just let us know you're coming, and if you're able to bring something, bring it. And if you're not able to bring it, come anyway. Bring a friend or bring a smile. So one of the things that we're doing at First Fridays, Minnie Wells runs it. She does a beautiful devotion. We'll have some questions. But after that, Laura Hanrahan from the Pregnancy Care Center is going to be coming out. They, She sent out um, an email last night. They're experiencing some um, real difficulties. So one of the things is they've been recovering from a water pipe break in their office. They've been dealing with that and dealing with that well. But very recently, the... Um on Monday, 2:26, a complaint was filed by the New Jersey Pregnancy Center Consortium with the Superior Court of New Jersey requesting that Attorney General disclose what information led to the release of, anyway, blah, blah, blah. What it is is that this is going to um, alert consumers that um, pregnancy care centers in New Jersey are illegitimate. So she's going to come out. She's going to talk about this. She's going to tell us what's going on. It's a very important issue. Come out and hear her. So Friday night at, what time is it? Six o'clock. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. We'll pray for that as well. So one other thing we want to uh, say this morning is a welcome to uh, Gary and Kathy Hoyt. Can we ask you guys to stand up? All right. So 
This is their first time with us since Gary was diagnosed with cancer two years ago, has gone through a whole lot of uh, treatments, and praise God, uh, he is on the path to recovery. And so Gary and uh, Kathy, so grateful to have you guys with us today, okay? Just count it as a, a blessing to see you guys here. Psalm 146 says this. It says, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will bless the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their dear spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord our God, the maker of heaven and earth. Would you stand with me this morning as we open in prayer? So, Father, we come before you this morning with hearts that are very grateful, uh, grateful for the work that you've done in Gary's life, grateful that he and his wife can be with us today to join in singing songs of praise together after a long time away. Uh, so we ask that your blessing and continued healing hand would be resting on Gary. We pray the same, Lord, for a number of folks within our church that have been, uh, you know, battling with uh, seasons of cancer, uh, particularly for uh, Diana Kelly. God, we continue to pray that your hand would rest in a very powerful and mighty way on her life and that you would be blessing her for numerous others within our church family, Lord, that, uh, that we know that are in seasons of struggle. Father, we ask that your healing hand, that you, the God of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, would be pouring out your blessing on them, would be sustaining them. And in the midst of our struggles, Lord, we so desperately need uh, to see that you are at work even in our suffering. And so, Lord, as we contemplate that as a congregation, we, we confess that we desire to rest in you. We want to see you work for good even through the seasons of difficulty that are designed for our lives. God, we ask for that blessing to flow upon us. We pray for uh, Sarah Finkbeiner as she works in Ukraine uh, with Samaritan's Purse. And uh, we understand, God, the, the tremendous risks that are present in those ministries. And we pray that your hand of protection would rest upon each one in that country trying to do good, trying to save life and to communicate the good news of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I ask for your blessing over the Carinet Center. And we know that uh, many organizations that are standing for life and the value of life have uh, come under a lot of uh, persistent attack in recent days. And Lord, I pray that you would fortify those ministries, that you would encourage their hearts, that you would allow us as your church to do our part to encourage them as they seek to protect uh, innocent lives. Uh, Father, pour your blessing over them. And as we now, as a church family, join our hearts together in worship, uh, Lord, remind us as we sing your praises of the very beautiful truths that we proclaim together. Exalt Jesus in our midst. Bless Doug as he brings your truth to our hearts today from your word. Lord, desperately, we need to hear from you. And we trust that you will meet us here today, Lord. Be glorified, I pray, in everything that we do this morning. And help our hearts to fall more deeply in love with you today, I pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Let's worship him together. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind 
Sin was heavy, but chains break at the weight of your glory. I need a shelter. I was an orphan. Now you call me a sin. Thank you, Lord.
a name. There is a name who reigns without contention, whose power can't be questioned or contained. With humble faith, he rules the earth and heavens. His glory knows no measure or refrain. And it's bursting past the borderlines of space. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. a name reaching past the margins calling sons and daughters back to him and as he says we can hear the roar of heaven as prodigals are coming home again oh the triumph of his name will never end. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all.
Whose power can't be questioned or contained With humble faith He rules the earth and heavens His glory knows or refrain And it's bursting past the borderlines of space
Savior. All hail our Savior. Praise Him forever. Jesus has overcome. Dying to save us. Rising to raise us. There's no one like our God. Sing us out to Him. to have you here. Children can be dismissed for junior church. That's five years old up through third grade. So if you want to leave at this point, that's great. If we see like uh, 25-year-olds walking out, we'll, uh, we'll call you back in. No. no. Um, I just wanted to uh, thank you for your prayers and cards uh, with the homegoing of my brother. Um, God really blessed during the service, and we've seen his good hand at work on a consistent basis. So I thank you for that. And Tim, I want to thank you for praying for Sarah again today. Um, I was talking with her about a week ago, and I uh, thought you might be interested to hear this, and she, she shared her most traumatic experience in Ukraine. I thought you might want to hear about it. 
Um, <clears throat> if you've ever been to Eastern Europe, you know, when you go into the bathroom, the, 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 from head, I mean, from the ceiling down to the floor, like you can't get out of those. Nobody could get in. It's not like ours where you can look over the top or go underneath. They're completely concealed. About two months ago, she'd gone into one of the stalls and, and um, realized that it was locked. She couldn't get out. The law was broken. So she called somebody on her cell phone and they came and they, they promised her they fixed all the bathrooms and everything's good. So she was leaving on a Friday um, to go for, out for the week. So she went by all the people that were still there, which wasn't many, and said, see, I'm leaving for the weekend, have a great weekend, blah, 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 you know. She said she went outside and she thought, you know, maybe I ought to go back and just go to the bathroom before, before I leave. Well, yes and no. So she went back in, but she just caught one of the different floors because she didn't want to go all the way back up to the third floor. So she went to the bathroom, realizing she had left, when she went into the outer part of the bathroom, she left her backpack and then she went into the stall and again, it locked. And she's thinking to herself, I told everybody I'm leaving. There's nobody on this hall. There's nobody even on this floor of the building that I'm in right now. Um, they won't find me. I'll be here all weekend and they'll find me in a stall on Monday, you know. She says, I just, Dad, I had like all these thoughts going on in my mind. So what did you do, honey? I started screaming at the top of my lungs, banging and kicking everything until somebody finally heard and came and let me out. She said, that's been the most traumatic thing I've had happen to me so far while I'm there. So, and I hope it stays that way. I hope it stays that way. So if you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 21 from 1 Peter chapter 1. I, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment that, that I grabbed you before the service and pulled you aside and said, you know, uh, as your pastor and loving you so much and all these things, um, I just felt compelled and I'm going to put a million dollars into your bank account next week. And I just, I just, folks, this is a story, just so we're clear on that, okay? <laughs> right? Um, but I'm going to put a, a million dollars into your bank account, and the, the only thing I ask is that, that you use it to pay off bills, um, put some money aside for your children for schooling, um, do a little bit of renovation on that house, and if you need a new car, that's... The, that's, that's all okay, too. I don't want you gambling with the money or, or any of those kinds of things. And, and, and if you don't mind, maybe I'll talk to you about it from time to time. Um, and then you go and you sit in your pew and your friend or your husband or wife or child says, uh, how you doing? And you go, um, yeah, pretty good. Uh, so what are we having for supper today? Hey, the weather's pretty nice out right now, you know? Don't you think you like you'd say something? Don't you think the fact that that that's going to happen in a week might change the way you live this week? A little bit. I mean, all of a sudden you get out those bills and you say, "I can pay off that credit card and that and that. I can pay the mortgage with it. you know whatever, whatever." You know, and you just go through a whole series of things. 
And, and, and even if you had a bad week and you found out you had a flat tire and it's going to cost you $400 to fix the car, you'd look at your wife and you'd say, no problem, honey. I know what's coming next week. I mean, it would change the way you live this week, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you'd be thinking about it all the time. You'd say, that Finkbinder, he's a pretty good guy. That was the best idea, bringing that guy on. You know, whatever, you know, you'd, just be, you'd, be, you'd be thinking all kinds of things about me and, and decisions that you're making that week. It would change everything. My guess is if somebody came up to you and said, so what did Finkbeiner tell you? Well, he wants me to use it for bills. He is such a controller, that Finkbeiner. What do you mean he wants you to use it for bills? You should be able to do whatever you want with that. Blah, blah. You say, oh, stop. This guy gave me a million bucks. Well, for Finkbeiner, it's just about a do's and don'ts, and that's all that life is. You go, what are you talking about? Isn't that what you'd say? I think sometimes when we come to the spirit, our spiritual lives, we miss a lot of those things if we're not careful. And I would imagine if I polled some of our younger people here today, maybe our teenagers and even younger, perhaps, and Hopefully not, but, but at times we've all had these feelings that sometimes Christianity feels like this is a religion of do's and don'ts. You can't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you're supposed to do this, and they want you at church, and blah, 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 right? And that, that would be a complete misunderstanding of Christianity. Because Christianity does have a series of do's and don'ts, mandates, commands, things that we are supposed to do. But it's always based on and the overflow of the incredible grace of God, which has first been extended into our lives. And Tim has spent the last two weeks just unpacking what some of that entails in verses three to 12 of this chapter. Where you cut back and you say, And it's not a million bucks. It's much better than a million bucks. It's the redemption of my soul. My security that I am in Christ. And God is for me. And God is up to something. And and he has saved me. He's in the process of transforming me. And there's something coming in the future. And I can rest my heart on that. And what Peter does is he just pours into our souls so we come away and we say, God, you are so blessed. We rejoice over what you're doing. And then in verse 13, he shifts gear and he talks about how we should live. But, But it's never apart from that base. Do you see? And so coming out of that base, what is it that we should do? And he's going to talk both about thinking right and living right in this passage. There's actually, in the original Greek, there's really only three imperatives or, or, or commands in this passage. There's other kinds of words that are attached to it that we call participles that can feel like commands, and so I don't think the translations are bad, but there's three main commands in this passage. Set your hope on the future. Be holy. 
and live your life in fear. That's it. I mean, that's, and we'll talk about what that entails, each one of those. And so this passage is saying, God has done something incredible for you. Therefore, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to live. So he's going to start out by saying in this passage that he wants you to think right. Now, I've got, I'm, I'm reading from the ESV. I also have the New American here, so we can pop back and forth with different ones. But anyway, I have the ESV. Let me, let me just read for you what he says here in verse 13. He says, because you may be saying, Finkbeiner, what in the world is that diagram up there for? Like, what? Okay, stay with me. Okay there's, there's a, there's, okay, there's a reason for my madness. Okay, if you stay long enough. Therefore, and you know this, we've mentioned this often. When you see a therefore in scripture, you always ought to ask yourself, what is the therefore? Therefore. And in this case, it's building over off of everything that Tim has preached on over the last two weeks, right? On that verses three down through verse 12. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, here's the first command. Set your hope fully on the grace that, we, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, literally in, in, in the Greek, and you find this in some of the older translations, literally it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your minds. And for most people reading that, they're going like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I have heard of girdles, okay? But gird up the, what in the world are you talking about? And so a lot of the modern translations will say something like what you have here, prepare your minds for action, which is a really good translation. But in the ancient world, as you know, if you have a long gown, which is what people wore, and all of a sudden you're going to be engaging in work where you have to be really mobile or you're going to be fighting. You would literally pull that up and this is just one way that they would do it and they pull it through and they tie it real tight and, and boy, now, now the guy is ready to go because he's girded up the loins. Do you see? Because of the long gown. And so he girded around his loins, tied it up and man, he's ready to go. And this text is saying, after hearing what you've heard of Jesus Christ, what I want you to do is in your mind, put off other things that just overwhelmingly become your preoccupation and prepare your mind by being sober, self-disciplined, and hope fully in what's going to come in the future because it's coming. You, you say, but Finkbeiner, I'm suffering right now. It's not easy. That's the context here, isn't it? It's kind of hard for me to think about then when I'm suffering here and now. And the writer says, it's true, you are. It's true, there's a lot of outside pressures on you. It's true. But there's something much greater your faith, which I am perfecting, and it's hard, and it hurts, and it's all that stuff. That will be worth it at the end of the day when you stand in my presence. You go like, 
It was completely worth it, Lord. And he says, I want you to now hope fully in that. I couldn't help but think about the apostle Paul. Paul picks up on this exact theme in Romans 8 and again in the book of 2 Corinthians. So it's, just, it's not just Peter. And in Romans 8, Paul will say, look, our lives are often marked by suffering. It's so intense and so hard sometimes. The world groans, we groan. The spirit of God even groans with our groanings. And in the midst of that, he says, hope. Hope is not crossing your fingers and saying, man, I just hope when I ask that girl out, she'll say yes. That's not hope. Hope is a confidence that the God who has started will complete. And so he says, you in the midst of this can hope in that. And the other passage that hits me, folks, it's, it's, it's an amazing thing to me. Second Corinthians, you have the longest series of lists of Paul and all the difficulties that he goes through. I mean, whether you're in chapter four, chapter six, or chapter 11, I mean, and, and not just there, but they're the biggies. It just gets repeated again. Paul says, man, there's times I'm knocked down, but I'm, I'm not quite knocked out. And, and, and there's times when I despair of life itself. And, and then he has this whole litany in chapter 11 where he just goes through, I went through this and this and this and this and this. And then I had this thorn in the flesh in chapter 12. And all the way through the book, you know, you're reading and going like, this guy's life was rough. It was. You know what he says in 2 Corinthians 4? Amazes me. Gets to the end of, of, of one of these lists. And let me... Let me just read it so I don't don't skip something there in the process. But he says this at the end of chapter four. Therefore, in the midst of all this, we do not lose heart. Though Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now listen to this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul, I kind of get the momentary thing because it's only for a lifetime and then your eternity with him. I, I get that one. But light? When I read your list, it's anything but light. I mean, you're just, you're getting banged around all the time. Remember those old pinball machines when you put that ball in there and go, bing, 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 bing. and sometimes I, when I read Paul's life, it's like that ball's just going, bing, 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 all the way around. You know what I mean, right? Okay, all right. I know they don't have them out here now, but, but, but wait, whatever. I, I, I kind of imagine that. And what Paul is saying here, Paul is not downplaying what he goes through. He's doing something much better. He's saying on, on a scale, go ahead and put all those hardships which I've faced. And Paul says, there's a lot. But when I compare it with the glories that are coming in Christ for all eternity, All I can do is identify that as light and momentary. Isn't that the beauty of the gospel? It doesn't matter what you're going through. How intense pressure from others, physical, whatever it is. 
God says, I am with you and I am up to something. And what awaits you? Far exceeds what you're currently going through. What a promise, folks. Paul says, when you think about what God has started in your life, you got to think right. And you don't think right by saying, I'm just going to like take my muscle, my hope muscle, and just try to really work it. That's not the way you increase. You know what you do? You spend as much time as you can thinking about them. The wonders of what God has done, the wonders of what he is doing, the wonders of where it will all end. You begin to think about a new heaven and a new earth where there is no more tear. There is no more pain. There is no problem. It's gone, completely gone. You think about the fact that he doesn't just call me an heir, but a fellow heir with Jesus Christ himself. So because I'm in Christ, he shares with us what is his. Like, I don't even know what that all means, to be honest with you. But it's good. It's really good. And he says, rather than getting your mind just wandering around here and you're tripping up in that gown, pull that gown up, tie it around your loins, focus, and remember, that's real. And if you do, you're going to find that other things in life just begin to fall into place. So think right. Set your hope completely on that because that hope will never be ashamed. It will never be frustrated. It will never, no one's going to get to heaven and go like, oh, bummer. (laughs) I thought it was going to be nicer than that. That musical group, they're just okay, you know, in in heaven, you know, not at all. I I love it when you go back and you read there in verse 3, Uh, and and talks about that what we have an inheritance that can never perish, that can never spoil, and can never fade. I love the fact that it will never spoil. It's there for good. It far exceeds anything here. But I love the fact that it never fades. You know? Because we bought our first living room couch in our entire lives about three months ago. We've always had hand-me-downs, always had hand-me-downs. So it's kind of nice. And I remember that first week we had it, sitting that thing, and wow, that's nice, firm. The other one, my old one, you sank in, you, you could get lost and never found again, you know. And, and, but I mean, just, just really nice. But you know what happens? You get a new car, or you get a used car, or whatever, or you get a new couch, or whatever. But you know, within a couple weeks, it's like, you know, whatever. Doesn't it kind of fade? This will never fade. No one's going to ever yawn in glory. Like, do we have to do this again? It won't happen. And Peter says, hope completely in that. And then, He talks about the importance of living right. Look at what he says here in verse 14. The image that you find in verses 14 to 21, kind of two movements here, but the image that runs right through this is God is our Father. Okay? 
So he will talk, you'll either see God directly called Father or we are called his obedient children. So look at what he says in verses 14 down through 16. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you were living in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, and here's the main command of this sentence, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You know what he says? And, and you know, holiness is one of those words sometimes, isn't it? Where you go like, I don't know. It's, is it like, does that mean you got to wear, you know, all this paraphernalia and, you know, go around with incense? And, you know, some people are just like, you know, what's that all about? Plain and simple. It means that you see your life as set apart for God and his glory. And what he wants, you want. Yes, that means your moral life. Yes, that means your love life, how you love others. It means everything. And this text says, what I want you to know is children, and we all know children don't always obey. Hello? Yourself as a child, your your children, we get it. But he says, you have been brought into this incredible relationship where the God of the universe names you his child. That's amazing. So I can bow my head, and when I say, and and I know it's a little bit trite when we pray sometimes, Father, but it should never be trite. It's always amazing that we can bow our heads and we can say, Father, well, if I'm calling his father, that means I'm supposed to be his obedient child. That's what children are supposed to do. And so rather than living in such a way that I'm, I'm going counter to what he wants and living by the world system, which is so easy to do, I'm always saying to myself, God, how can I set my life apart in such a way that I'm always reflecting what you want because I want to honor you. Because when I go there, you know what I'm saying? I'm saying God's way is not best. God is not wise. That's more important. I'm saying a whole bunch of things. And so he calls out to us, don't allow the world to just kind of push you into its own mold. Don't do that. You know, what he, you know why he has to say that? Because if I shift into neutral, that's what will happen. Do you see? That's why these are active commands, all based on the grace of God. Hope in what's coming. And because he is your father, don't be conformed to that which is anti-him. Rather, live in such a way that your life is set apart to him. And what he does is he quotes from a passage that you find repeated in the Old Testament. It, it, it runs specifically all the way through the book of Leviticus. And I just want to, I want to just read one section to you. Leviticus chapter 11, verses 44 and 45. Listen to what he says. I am the Lord, your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. 
Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves along the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore, be holy because I am holy. There was a time in my life when I was as far away from God as imaginable. Live my own life, do my own thing. You say, you're just a kid. It's still the way I was living. And in one fell moment, God, God forgave me of all my sins because I trusted in Christ. Called him, asked him to be my Lord and Savior. And in one moment, I was forgiven of all my sins. I could now call him Father. And God says in this passage, Doug, I brought you from that life. I have saved you. I, I have called you. I have named you my own. You're my child. I want you exclusively for me. We use the term in a joking way often. Well, that guy is just a chip off the old block. Which kind of scares me. I was, I, 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 when I was with all my brothers at, at the funeral, and I was listening to them talk, and, 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 and I was watching some of their mannerisms, and again, I'm thinking like, we, we got like most of this stuff from mom and dad. I'm going like, that laugh, that's mom. That reasoning, it, that lousy joke, it's dad. <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm just going like, deja vu, I've been here before. Because it's really hard not to emulate your parents, isn't it? And God says, emulate me. Honor me. I am the one who has named you. I own you. I care for you. Be holy. Do you ever find yourself reading in the Old Testament when it gets to these areas of clean and unclean and holy and unholy and common and uncommon? Sometimes, I, I don't know about you, but I often think to myself, I am like really glad that I don't live under the Old Covenant. I mean, I'm thinking like, I would have been, I would have been on the outside of that camp like Again and again and again. Where's Finkbeiner? Outside the camp again. Yeah. I mean, I could, I mean, I'm just telling you, I just, it'd be just really hard to keep track of that. And sometimes when we read the Old Testament, you go like, man, alive, what's the big deal? It's what you're eating, for goodness sakes. All right, you got to sprinkle it again. Oh, in this case, you got to actually kill something, an animal, you know, and you go like, what's going on? Because it became graphic reminders again and again that we are to live a life that's completely given over to him. And, and when we can't, he has a whole system for restoring us. And, and constant reminders, you're not your own, you're his. Everything you do is his. Well, folks, that hasn't changed under the new covenant. Now, you can eat what you want. Have at, have at that piece of slab of ham, man, go for it, okay? Fair enough. But do everything that you do to the glory of God. And the writer says, when you stop and you think back that this God has named you as his own, that should change everything the way you live. God, 
You have saved us, so we are going to hope with confidence in what you're going to do. And God, by your grace, because we can never do it on our own, we want our lives with every decision we make, every place we go, everything we think about, whatever we watch, whatever we do, God, I, I give this to you because you're the father that I love and I want to obey. I mean, that's, that's the way it's supposed to work. And thirdly, he has another command about living right. And you find it here in verse 17. Notice what he says. If you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, sometimes, frankly, we read that and we go like, I don't think I like that part. I love the hope part. The holiness one, eh, I kind of live with that a little bit too, I suppose. I don't like the fear thing. So, am I supposed to live in complete trepidation all my life before God? Is that what he's saying? No. But you should live with a holy awe of who it is that you call his father. And, and he says, you call upon him as father who is the impartial judge. The, the expression call upon is used often in the New Testament for that initial call upon where you say, I, I call upon Christ. Christ, I call upon you to be my Lord and Savior. But that's not the only time we call him. We, we call him all the time in our prayers, don't we? And we come back and we say, God, I, I call upon you. You who are my father, I need you. Please work in my life. And, and, and sometimes what we say is, God, get that person that keeps hurting me. Don't we? And Peter says, Peter says, God's impartial. In chapter 2, Christ prayed and entrusted himself to his Father who judges righteously. But in chapter 4, in verse 19, when judging is talked about, it talks about the fact that God will judge the living and the dead. But that judgment begins with the household of faith. Well, Finkbeiner, are you saying as a Christian, when I stand before God as a true Christian, that that means I could end up going to hell? No, I'm not saying that. The final verdict is yours now in Jesus Christ. You are justified. You are secure. You are in Christ. But there is going to be an evaluation that's coming, folks. I don't know how else to read passages like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Romans 14. And not to tell me whether I'm in or out, but to evaluate the stewardship of the life that he has actually given to me. How am I living that? And so when I'm looking and saying, Father, get that guy, the way he's treating me. You're, in, 
you're impartial. You don't care how much money he has. God says, yeah, you're right. But Doug, I also see you. And yes, I'm your father. But you need to realize I'm not the guy upstairs. I'm not just some soft fuzzy. I'm the God of the universe who is over all and will one day bring all under evaluation, both the saved and those that don't know Christ. That's the one that you serve. So it's, it's not, it's so interesting to me in scripture. Um, and, 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 and you have these kind of these softer comments about God and these harder comments about God. And for many of us, we love the softer. You know what I mean? Love, mercy, and I love it. I like completely love it. Holy, just, righteous, pure. It's all true. It's all true at the exact same time. I am completely loved by God in Christ Jesus. And he is the majestic, holy, pure one who apart from Christ, I could never stand in his presence. He says, look, hope in what is coming. Set your life apart so that everything you do is given over to what he wants. And as you're living this life, do it with this holy awe, this reverence, this sense of sobriety that he is God. He is my father, true, and he is God. Look at the reason he gives for that last motivation. And it's, it's kind of cool because this, the, the last um, motivation runs from verse 18 all the way down to verse 21. Folks, think of it this way, okay? You know, I'm thinking my right is not your right. So my wife and I often talk about this. Honey, when you're trying to tell, move right for them, you're rooting, moving left yourself. So see if I can get this. So let me, let me just change everything I've been doing here with you, okay? Let's stretch it here. Suppose this, where I'm at right now, is the present, okay? And I know I'm reversing, sorry. This is the past. That's your left, right? This is the past. And that is the future. What you find all through the book of 1 Peter, all through the New Testament, is God is always talking about us now in light of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And even in this passage, there's times he's saying, focus on that. It's going to be glorious. Remember that and know that he's preserving you in the process. Right? I mean, he, he just moves back and forth between all of those in this passage. But look at what he does here as he points back. I love it. Listen to what he says in verse 18. The motivation, this holy, holy, righteous father, knowing that you were ransomed or redeemed, or, or it's the ultimate buyout, isn't it? That, that God has, has bought us from, from that. You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, 
but with the precious or the priceless blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but what was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So when he says, I want you to live this life before a holy, magnificent, awesome father. He says, the reason I want you to do that is I, I want you to think back to what he's done. Why? You think about the logic of this, and we all struggle with this. If God has saved me and he's brought me out of a life that's dominated by the sin, the world, the flesh, the devil. He's brought me out of that at great price, the price of his son. Why would I want to go, I'm going back. Who cares? Can you imagine... If um, I, I heard this I, actually this week, I, I was uh, I heard a message from John Piper, and it, he had an illustration that really kind of grabbed me. And I thought I had another illustration, but I thought his was better, so I'll use his. Imagine if one of my children, um, God forbid, okay. Can you imagine if Sarah was captured? He didn't use it quite this way, as I'm changing it, but if Sarah was, uh, was, was kidnapped by the Russians and, um, and somehow they contacted me and they said, um, if you want her back, you gotta pay this amount. And I sold everything, sold my house, cashed out my retirement, sold my car, Everything. Got rid of heirlooms, the whole thing, gone. Just completely gone. And I take that, and wherever that rendezvous is, I give that money, and they let her go. And I call her up on the phone to see how she's doing. And she says, um, you know, I would appreciate it if you didn't call me again. I, there's things I want to do in my life and um, thanks, but no thanks. Just leave me alone. Could you just leave me alone? How would I feel? What? I ransom. I, I paid everything. Everything. Because I love you. And, and you're now going to move into a lifestyle and completely disregard me. Do people do that? They do. And this text cries out and says, this is the judge of the universe that has named you his child. I've called by his name. And I should walk in a reverential awe of the fact that the God of the universe wants to be my father. And he, 
He paid the ultimate ransom by sending his beloved son. And Christ came and he validated that it was effective because of the, the resurrection, the exaltation of Christ. All so that I would believe in him and hope in him and know him. And so I make a profession and then I say, thanks for the life insurance policy, but I'll live my life the way I want. Thank you. I think that's what Peter's saying. When you read it that way, you think, boy, that would be the height of ingratitude. In many ways, the Christian life is just one long extended thank you. Isn't it? God, you, you you sent Christ for me. There's nothing more precious than the fact that the God of the universe became a human and died for the sins of the world and proved it was true by resurrecting and being exalted. You did that for me. You get it all. Yeah, but that may mean you have to cut back on some of your time issues and redirect things, and that's going to be a pain. Yeah, who cares? That may mean you have to be nice to that person. Yeah, but they're not nice back. I know. But, but there's more important things. Do, do you see what I'm saying? And it changes everything, folks. If we become completely obsessed with the wonder of the gospel, what God has done, what he is doing, what he will do, and the wonders of glory that we, I'm telling you, I'm telling you when we get there and we see the new heaven and new earth and all the stuff that's going on, we're going to nudge each other and go like, wow, man. I didn't even imagine this one. And that will never fade. That will just go right on through eternity. If anything, it's going to uptick. It's going to be amazing. And Peter says, you all right now, the term he uses in this passage, are sojourners. And there's, there's, a, there's a, an epistle that was written to Diognetus, and it dates back to the second century. I just want to read a section of it for you, then I'll close and, 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 and we'll be done. Although I do have a final slide there for what it's worth. Um, li- listen, listen to what, and we don't know who wrote this, okay? Um, but listen to what he says as he describes Christians in this world. He says, for Christians neither by country or language or customs are distinguished from the rest of humanity. For they do not dwell somewhere in their own cities, nor do they use some strange language, nor do they practice a peculiar way of life. This teaching of theirs has not been found by any thought or reflection of inquisitive people, nor do they advocate human doctrine as some do. But, but while living in both Greek and barbarian cities, as each ha- have obtained by lot, 
And while following the local customs, both in clothing and in diet and in the rest of life, they demonstrate the wonderful and most certainly strange character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but they're aliens. They share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign country is their country, and every country is foreign. They, they marry like everyone. They bear children, but they do not expose their offspring. They, they set a common table, but not a common bed. They happen to be in the flesh, but do not live according to the flesh. They spend time upon the earth, but have their citizenship in heaven. They obey the appointed laws, and in their own lives, they surpass the law. They love all people, and by all people are often persecuted. They are unknown, and they are condemned. They are put to death, and they are made alive. They are poor and made, make many rich. They lack everything, and they have the abundance in everything. They are dishonored, and in, and, and in the dishonor glorified, they are slandered, and they are vindicated. And then he goes on, that, that's probably enough. But isn't that the strange way in which we live? I mean, people don't see me walking down the street and go like, woo I look like an American. Wearing, a, you know, wearing pants and a hat, you know, and shoes or whatever. But the text says, as they get up beside you, they see something completely different. Because at the end of the day, our citizenship is not here. I'm an American citizen, but I'm first and foremost a citizen of heaven. You see? And that changes everything. So in this text, he calls us, and he says this, based upon our glorious and gracious salvation. I don't care where you look. Look back, and you'll go like, Wow, from the foundation of the world, this was already being designed. This was already known by God what Christ was going to do. This wasn't a plan B. It was plan A from the beginning. Based upon our glorious and gracious salvation, past, present, future, which has both a present and future dimension, let us focus on the culmination of our salvation. Think often about the wonders of heaven. What's that guy's name? Randy, is it Randy Alcorn that wrote the book on heaven? Go pick up the book and read it. You, you say, well, I don't agree with everything. I know, but it'll get you thinking about heaven. Go read it. Listen to the music again and again, folks. Live wholly like our Father and live reverentially before our impartial Father. Because when you think about that great salvation, what else can we do? Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. That's amazing. May we not be guilty of familiarity. May we be guilty of intimacy, though. May we be guilty of deep respect for our Father. May we live our lives thinking about the wonders of the gospel, past, present, and future. And may that so control our thinking 
that we go out in this world and regardless of how others live or how others treat us, we live differently. So Lord, do your good work in our lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen.
Heavenly Father, how great you are for what you've done for us in Christ. Thank you for sending your son to die a horrific death that you had to watch and yet it needed to happen to be able to bring us into your fold. Thank you, God, for what you've done for us. God, thank you for the message from Doug today. I just ask that um, <clears throat> you would just bless this, uh, this message into our hearts and just may we live with it this week and just praise you for everything that you've done for us to a watching world. Uh, and we praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>